so episode 62 in this episode we are going to continue with the renal section only so this patient likely has chronic kidney disease elevated uh, creatinine nausea fatigue due to the autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease in patient with uh, adpkd the onset and worsening of the clinical manifestation generally correlate with the progression of the cystic structural degeneration of the kidney okay there is flank pain with or without hematuria frequently occurs and may and may represent the cyst rupture and nephrolithiasis okay so whenever the polycystic kidney disease cyst get ruptured or there is nephrolithiasis so you can see the flank pain with or without hematuria okay a flank mass can be palpable as in this patient so hypertension is the early disease manifestation that result from the cyst enlargement leading to the local renal ischemia and also increase in the secretion of renin with activations of the renin angiotensin aldosterone system that is ras Next is polyuria nocturia as seen in this patients with accompanying polydipsia resulting from the urinary concentration defect likely caused by cystic damage to the nephron distal with the impaired recipient uh, of uh, vasopressin signals okay so the vasopressin signals impaired because of the damage to the distal tubules of the nephron okay because of the cyst only which leads to polyuria nocturia in effect a mild nephrogenic diabetes insipidus is created Progressive renal dysfunctions eventually occurs due to the cyst progressions based on the laboratory result. This patient likely has advanced CKD with the associated anemia. Patients with the autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease are generally asymptomatic until their 30s or later and develop the end-stage renal disease by 55 to 60 years. The features of the autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease that occurs outside the kidney includes the liver cyst, evidence in this patient by enlarging liver and also the cerebral aneurysm now next talk about the bladder outlet obstructions which can occur due to benign prostatic hyperplasia and can lead to obstructive nephropathy and ckd however the bph would not explain the enlarging liver and the right flank mass okay next is the horseshoe kidney which is an congenital abnormality associated with increased rates of uh, ureteropelvic junction obstruction okay there is up obstruction and nephrolithiasis vesicourethral refluxes and also chronic urinary tract infection so because of heart kidney disease it can lead to four other conditions that is ureteropelvic junction obstruction nephrolithiasis vesicourethral reflex and chronic urinary tract infection but it would not explain the patient's uh, bilateral flank pain and enlarging liver okay next is the patient with autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease are at increased risk of nephrolithiasis although nephrolithiasis can occurs with the recurrent flank pain it would not explain the enlarged liver and would not be a diagnosis cause causing the advanced CKD okay next is renal cell carcinoma can presents with unilateral flank mass but would not explain this patient's advanced CKD and is less likely in the absence of hematuria fever pain or weight loss okay although the incidence of renal cell carcinoma is slightly increased with uh, this uh, autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease now let's talk about the next question where this patient's clinical presentation includes the fever, cough, hypotension, tachycardia and also lung infiltration on imaging suggesting the sepsis due to the community acquired pneumonia. So basically the patient has undergone the community acquired pneumonia because of which there was sepsis which leads to fever, hypotension, cough, tachycardia and lung infiltrations. This patient has dry mucous membranes and laboratory findings shows high hemoglobin and blood urea nitrogen and also the creatinine level suggesting of volume depression BUN and creatinine is more than equal to 20 which is consistent with pre-renal cause of azotemia so hypotensions and volume depressions due to the sepsis are typically treated with intravenous fluid that is isotonic saline which 
generally results in improvement of the prerenal azotemia as well as okay so yeah and uh, however this patient's clinical conditions may temporarily be worsened by worsened before improving if it develops acute tubular necrosis or septic shock therefore any nephrotoxin such as NSAIDs that can cause the worsening of the kidney function must be avoided also metformin leads to lactic acidosis which this patient was using for diabetes should be stopped because it can also lead to acute kidney injury and sepsis therefore it should be withheld until the renal functions improve okay low dose aspirin use the use does not affect the renal blood flow and it uh, is uh, not basically showing the precipitations or worsening of the renal failure so we don't have to stop the use of aspirin here next is statins are not causing the kidney disease it basically causes the uh, rhabdomyolysis sort of thing and myopathies so we don't have to stop statins here okay next is the target blood glucose level of for is accurate for this patients like there was hyperglycemia 140 by 180 and uh, short-acting insulin regimens are typically recommended this patient's blood sugar is currently controlled and intravenous insulin therapy is unnecessary to wouldn't have to give this intravenous insulin therapy otherwise it would lead to hypoglycemia and also there are various adverse effects of this intravenous insulin next is the ac inhibitors and arbs can temporarily worsen the renal functions and hypertension so it should not be given in chronic kidney disease or acute kidney disease basically it is given in chronic kidney disease and not given in acute kidney disease hypercalcemia is in this patient is most likely due to the volume depletions and hemoconcentration it should correct the hydration and not require for bis and does not require the bisphosphonate therapy so metformin should be stopped basically that was the answer i just noticed a fun fact that is uh, i usually speak this word this one word repeatedly that is the basically <laughs> so please avoid that that's my conditional i should say that all right so moving further the next patient has having tinnitus fever tachypnea nausea gastrointestinal irritations and also the after the medication overdose okay so this scenario is highly suggesting of the salicylate toxicity because if we see the tinnitus with salicylate toxicity due to the aspirin that her father was taking for the coronary artery disease so the patient took it okay and that too in overdose so acute salicylate toxicity usually present with mixed acidose acid and base disturbances so we see the primary alkalosis respiratory alkalosis which develops shortly after the ingestion because salicylate directly stimulates the medullary, medullary respiratory centers which leads to increased ventilation and loss of the co2 which leads to low co2 and ultimately causing the respiratory alkalosis but later on the primary anion gap metabolic acidosis develops after several hours because toxic salicylate level inhibits the oxidative phosphorylation resulting in accumulations of the organic acids such as keto acids and the lactic acid in the blood which leads to low cerium bicarbonate that is less than 24 and increase in the anion gap so there is increased anion gap and low cerium bicarbonate which ultimately leads to the anion gap metabolic acidosis because the two primary disturbances shift the arterial ph in opposite directions the arterial blood gas analysis often shows near normal ph okay so in this you see that almost near normal ph so basically the ph of this patient was uh, 7.41 and the pco2 was 23 and the bicarbonate was 14 so bicarbonate was reduced also pco2 was reduced but both these finding reduced uh, were reduced and uh, the ph was almost normal the mixed disturbances can be recognized by inappropriate compensations for one of the primary disturbances using the winters formula for the values in the correct answers okay so expected compensations for the serum bicarbonate of 14 milliequivalent per echo uh, this should be 
of PCO2 of 29. Okay, basically how do we calculate that? Bicarbonate into 1.5 plus 8 plus minus 2. So bicarbonate was 14. So I multiplied it by with uh, 1.5 and we then I added 8 to it. So the value was coming to be 29 and which is equal to the PCO2 given. So the actual PCO2 is 23 which is lower and it's indicating a concomitant primary respiratory alkalosis working in the other direction. There should be a minimal metabolic compensations for the respiratory alkalosis, minimal decrease in the bicarbonate in acute setting. Therefore, the significant decrease in the bicarbonate that is 14 mere equivalent indicates the concomitant primary metabolic acidosis. Okay. Now, so you simply have to calculate it with the help of Winter's formula, which is uh, amount of uh, PCO2 is equals to bicarbonate into 1.5 plus 18, sorry, plus 8 plus minus 2. Okay. And if it is equals to the CO2 concentration which is given, that means uh, everything is okay. Like uh, they are compensating each other. But if you see that there is more CO2 uh, with the formula as the original one. So that time uh, you think that uh, metabolic uh, metabolic acidosis predominates. Okay, now let's talk about the syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone that is SIADH. So etiologies includes the CNS disturbances, which includes the stroke, hemorrhage and trauma. So whenever there is stroke, hemorrhage or trauma, it can lead to SIDH. Some medications such as carbamazepine, SSRIs and NSAIDs. So carbamazepine, SSRIs and NSAIDs can lead to SIDH. Lung diseases such as pneumonia, ectopic ADH secreting small cell lung cancers and pain and nausea. So these are the etiologies of SIDH. Drugs, you should remember the drugs carbamazepine, SSRIs and NSAIDs. Clinical features include mild to moderate hyponatremia which is causing fatigue and forgetfulness and also nausea. Next is severe hyponatremia then you see nausea like seizures and coma and if it is euvolumic the moist mucous membrane will be there no edema no jugular venous distension. Next is laboratory finding hyponatremia you will see hyponatremia serum osmolarity will be low that is less than 275 milliosmol per kilogram of water that is hypotonic. Next is the urine osmolarity will be more than equal to 100 milliosmol per kg of water. And next is the urinary sodium will also increase that is 40 milliequivalent per liter. So management, the first thing which you are supposed to do in SIADH is fluid restrictions and also you can give the salt, salt tablet along with that. The second thing which you are supposed to do is hypertonic 3% saline for the severe hyponatremia. Okay. So this patient has symptomatic hypoton hypotonic uh, that is osmolarity was less than 275 hyponatremia due to SIADH. Normally the kidneys are able to excrete the free waters at the sufficient rate to prevent the blood hyponatremia. Inappropriately high level of the antidiuretic hormone prevents the kidney from excreting the dilute urine leading to a urine osmolarity more than equal to 100 and hypotonic hyponatremia develops. The patient with the SIADH typically are euvolumic therefore the urine sodium concentrations is typically elevated to 40 unlike in this patients with hypovolemia. Okay. Yeah, so these patients are euvolumic and they have urinary sodium of more than equal to 40 only. But whenever they, it is a case of hypovolemia, so the urinary sodium is reduced. Okay, so in addition, in SIADH, the serum uric acid level are characteristically low. So you see that in SIADH, uric acid level is low. Serum potassium level is normal. Acid-base status is also normal. SSRIs are the commonly associated with SIADH in elderly patients specifically. So nausea can further exhibit the SIADH. So symptoms of SIDH vary depending upon the severity and rate of the development of hyponatremia. Patient can be asymptomatic, mildly symptomatic, nausea lethargy or can be severely symptomatic. Presence with profound uh, confusions and seizures and coma. Okay. Now, 
both severely decrease solute intake in the setting of ongoing free water intake and polydipsia can lead to hyponatremia okay however in this situation adh levels are normal the patients are unable to excrete the dilute urine therefore the urine osmolarity will be approximately low so in a dehydration state or polydipsia state that you see that urine osmolarity is no low not high okay next is intracranial neoplasm can lead to hyponatremia due to si adh and sol wasting syndrome uh, caused by the intracranial calcium intracranial pressures okay increase in the intracranial pressures however the absence of papillary edema focal neurologic deficits and all these findings su suggest no intracranial neoplasia okay next is intravascular volume depletions occurs in dehydrations and uh, can lead to hyponatremia due to decreased renal perfusions and also excess free water retentions the urinary sodium concentration would be low as kidney attempts to retain the solute in effort to increase the blood volume okay next is the mineralocorticoid deficiency will lead to hyperkalemia metabolic acidosis which is not present in this patient renal resistance to adh leads to nephrogenic diabetes insipidus where there is excess loss of the water not retention of the water so this was the cenomafin appropriate adh which was caused by ssri carbamazepine or nsaids okay now let's talk about the acute kidney injury so we are going to differentiate between the pre renal causes and acute tubular necrosis okay so in pre renal causes you see that bun creatinine ratio is typically more than equal to 20 so you have to calculate the bun creatinine ratio and then you see if it is more than 20 then it is pre renal cause in but in acute tubular necrosis you see it's normal typically 10 to 15 only next is the urinary sodium so in pre renal you see that so urinary sodium is less than equal to 20 the kidney tries to absorb sodium okay for compensation but in acute tubular necrosis urinary sodium is more than 40 because once it has lost the epithelial cast in the tubules will not allow the reabsorption of the sodium therefore more loss is there next is fractional excretion of the sodium in pre renal causes as i already told you will be reduced less than 1% but in acute tubular necrosis it will be more than 2% urine osmolarity in pre renal causes it will be more because uh, water is reabsorbed they try to compensate but in acute tubular necrosis it would be 300 that is i think it's normal or it is mildly increase okay yeah it's increase urine specific gravity in pre renal would be more because the osmolarity is high so 1.1.020 and in acutibular necrosis it will be less than 1.020 microscopy you see that pre renal you see blands and on acutibular necrosis you see muddy brown cast okay so this patient has significant acute kidney injury weakness nausea with hyperkalemia metabolic acidosis bicarbonate level is less than 18 volume overload where you see crackles and edema acute kidney injury can be characterized as pre renal post renal intrinsic causes so pre renal characterized by low urinary sodium less than equal to 20 milliequivalents per liter and elevated blood urea nitrogen creatinine ratio more than equal to 20 due to passive reabsorption of urea okay next is post renal causes classically causing the hydronephrosis on ultrasonography so you see that hydronephrosis there because of there is any obstruction or something next is intrinsic commonly due to acute tubular necrosis characterized by high urinary sodium excretion more than equal to 40 milliequivalents per liter and fraction excretion of sodium is also more than equal to 2% due to tubular damaging limiting the reabsorption capacity as well as by a normal bun creatinine ratio 10 to 15 okay in contrast to prenatal injury this patient's ultrasonographic findings and chemistry suggest a high urinary sodium and bun creatinine ratio of 10 is to 1 making the post renal most likely post renal or prenatal causes uh, less likely okay but it is suggesting of the aki that is reflecting the intrinsic injury 
due to the acute tibular necrosis muddy brown casts are pathognomonic for that but these are not always present okay but once they are present they specifically tell that it is atm common cause includes the ischemia that because of shock or drug that is radio contrast dye or other nephrotoxic medications such as the uh, other medications and also the uh, light chains we know that of, of amyloidosis so this patient calcium levels provide a clue to cause his acute uh, tibular necrosis okay so the renal injury usually causes hypocalcemia due to reduced phosphorus clearance leading to phosphorus retention in the body which combines with calcium and ultimately leads to low calcium so whenever there is kidney injury so you see that phosphorus loss is reduced this phosphorus is retained in the body it combines with calcium and reduces the body calcium so you see hypocalcemia in contrast the older patients with intrinsic aki has hypercalcemia which is suggesting of multiple myeloma so this patient is having multiple myeloma where you see the proteins depositing in the kidney leading to the atn and there is hypercalcemia multiple myeloma induced hypercalcemia is due to osteoclastic activity active factors that can cause aki vasoconstriction and tubular calcium deposition is there light chain reabsorbs are directly toxic okay intratubular light chain cast forms in the resorptive capacity is overwhelm and worsening the tubular damage glassy light chain casts are often present however the urine analysis may be bland if cast formation has not yet occurred okay so you see nothing on urine analysis urine dipstick typically demonstrates a protein urea only detects the albumin however the quantitative 24 hour urinary assay will demonstrate deelevated proteins excretion that is benzone protein urea so basically the answer for this question was acute tubular injury only because of the myeloid depositions the calcium was increased multiple myeloma was the disease a myeloid was deposited in the tubules which was damaging the tubules okay decreased cardiac output and uh, intravascular volume depletion and renal artery stenosis causes prerenal aki urine creatinine ratio will be more than equal to 20 and uh, urinary sodium will be less than equal to 20 but this was not the case drug induced interstitial nephritis present with rash which is a specific finding fever wbc and white blood cell cast will be there or urine analysis globulonephritis is characterized by hematuria and red blood cell cast okay and you see low urinary sodium in them progressions of the diabetic nephropathy typically present over a period of time and highly unlikely over 3 months so yeah next is so basically the acute tubular necrosis result in limited resorptive capacity leading to high urinary sodium loss more than equal to 40 normal b1 nitrogen uh, b1 and creatinine ratio usually the uh, renal injury result in hypocalcemia but if there is hypercalcemia it suggest of multiple myeloma which leads to amyloid nephropathy okay so this is it for this lecture thank you so much for listening